Welcome to the Kingdom Church Podcast. We are so honored that you took the time to be here. We hope this message is exactly what you need to hear. Enjoy. This is your first time with us. My name is Harrison. I'm the pastor here. and We're just so excited you took time to be with us this morning. Um, we just want you to know that we think that you're in the right spot. We think that Jesus exists. Jesus changed lives. And so we are so happy you guys could be here. Uh, we are in the midst of a series. We're going to read a passage of scripture out of Psalm 23. Uh, for those unfamiliar, a psalm is kind of like a song. It's a prayer. And this is a prayer written by a man named David. And for those uh, who've been in church a long time, this might be very familiar to it. But my prayer this morning is that we're able to see Psalm 23 through fresh eyes. So I'm just going to read it, and then we're going to talk a little bit. Psalm 23, verse 1 says this. It says, The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Come on, somebody. Say amen. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. And he guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they come for me. It may feel like I'm surrounded. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely, someone say surely. Your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. How long? Forever. Come on, somebody. There's an old saying, uh, and, and maybe you guys know this saying, but the title of our sermon comes from this saying. I'm going to ask you guys to finish it if you guys know it. It goes like this. It's not what you know, it's, it's who you know. It's who you know. That is the title of our message this morning. It's who you know. It's who you know. One thing I've realized in life is the most important thing is not necessarily what you know, but it's who you know. It's who you know. I was talking to a friend this week, and he started a brand new company. And uh, I was asking him questions about it because I'm curious um, just how it's going. And I asked him, where did your employees come from? Like, how did you find these people? And the answer was always the same. He's like, well, it's people that I worked with in the past. Some of them are friends. It's, it's just connections. It's, it's people that I know. And so he, he has a land surveying company. And I was like, well, where do you get your projects from? And he's like, well, I know someone. It's just someone that I know. And, and as I went through that conversation, I realized that in life, it's a lot of times not necessarily what you can do, but it's who you know. It's who you know. I remember when I was in school. I'm not in school. When I was, uh, when I was younger, I was in school. Um, when I was younger, uh, my dad would always get on us to apply for jobs. And I never really liked working part-time jobs. And uh, so when they didn't call back when I would apply, like I wouldn't be too disappointed. I'd be like, yeah, it didn't work out. Got to watch TV all summer. But uh, one thing my dad would always say to us, he would say, when you hand in your applications, he said, make sure you go and you give it to the manager. Go and ask for a manager specifically. Because they get a million resumes a day, and uh, if you give it to some Joe Blow, like, it's just going to go into the middle of nowhere. And the fact that my resume just had that I shoveled my own driveway probably didn't help. That was my only job experience. But he said, go to a manager because that's the best way for you to get a job. Because what my dad realized was that it's all about who you know. It's about who you know. We, uh, we've been in a series the last four weeks. Uh, this is the final installment called Thirsty. Anyone been here for this series at all? Yeah. A few people. Anyone? Has this series helped anyone a little bit? 
Man, that's so good. In this series, what we've been doing, uh, the, the, the genesis of our series, it came from a line of poetry. A line of poetry. It said, uh, I die of thirst here at the fountainside. I die of thirst here at the fountainside. And that's kind of where our series came from. It's this ironic statement, right? Like, how can you die of thirst when you're right next to a pool of water? It was an ironic statement that caught our eyes, and that's kind of how we dove into this series, because what we've been saying is that there are so many people that are dying of thirst. And we didn't take it literally. We went into a more spiritual sense, and we said every single one of us has a thirst. We all have a spiritual thirst. And the only answer to our spiritual thirst is Jesus. Come on, somebody. But what we've said, although Jesus is omnipresent, he's always there, he's everywhere. We're surrounded. There are so many people that will never actually experience the pool of water that is Jesus. And there are hundreds and thousands of people that will die of thirst at the fountainside when there's a pool of water readily available. And so over the last three weeks, what we have done, we have dug into techniques and things that we can do in order to tap into the well that is Jesus. But if there's one thing that we have, have said over and over again, and what I want to hammer home this morning, is that in life, it's not really about what you know. It's about who you know. It's about who you know. And that who is Jesus. The only answer to our thirst is Jesus. We're going to be in Psalm 23 because I want to dig into this, this idea even more. And Psalm 23 is one of the most famous psalms in the entire world. Even if you haven't uh, had a history in church, chances are you've heard bits and pieces of it. Right? Like rappers. Like, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Come on, who listens to gangster rap? <laughs> it's a famous psalm, but my hope again this morning is that we can see it through fresh eyes. Psalm 23 was written by a man named David. David is one of the most central and prominent figures of the Old Testament. Uh, for those who know David's background, David uh, is the young boy who defeats the giant named Goliath. He slays Goliath. David becomes king of Israel. David uh, grows the, the nation of Israel into the largest kingdom in the entire uh, known world. But what I love about David is that David is not necessarily known for his battles with giants. He's not known for his prowess as a leader. What David is most known for is his walk in relationship with God. He's a man after God's own heart. I would love if one day my legacy was not necessarily what I've done, but who I am. And that's, that's David. He's known for who he is and, and what he has done in his relationship with God. And so David writes Psalm 23, and one of the things that David is able to masterfully do, because if you read the Psalms, you'll realize David writes a large number of them. And David was often able to write psalms and songs and prayers in the midst of the hardest times of his life. In times when it would appear that he was thirsty. You see, David had this, this way of talking himself out of whatever situation that he was in. And that's really Psalm 23. And that's what I want to do this morning because I want us, one last time as we close out this thirsty series, as we begin to actually dive into summer. Spring is done. We're going to summer. We're going to finish this series. I want us to give us, I want to give us just a few more techniques that can help us to begin to actually drink from the well that is Jesus. You guys ready for that? Yeah. All right, let's do it. Psalm 23, verse 1 says this. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. I lack nothing. The Lord is my shepherd. Now, for David, before he was a king, before he fought giants, David was actually a shepherd himself. And so when David uses this metaphor, it's very personal to him. This is a personal metaphor. David knows what it is to be a shepherd because he was a shepherd. 
And so when David says, the Lord is my shepherd, he is painting us a picture of who God is in relation to us. And David knew, what does a shepherd do? A shepherd protects. A shepherd loves. At times, shepherds will even lay down their life for their sheep. David says, the Lord is my shepherd. Here's the first thing David is doing, and what I want us to understand. David is defining his relationship with God. He's defining his relationship. You see, one of the reasons that I believe that so many of us, although we can be next to the pool of water, but we are still thirsty, is because we never define our relationship with God. What I mean by that is this. So many of us, even if we've grown up in church, we don't know where we stand in relation to God. I wonder if this relates to anyone, but your picture of God is like, well, if God is out there, I'm not sure he approves of who I am. I'm not sure God actually loves me. I'm not sure God actually thinks highly of me. And some of us, we have the the bounds and, and the chains of religion where we grew up with this idea that if I did not act proper, if I was not proper, then God did not accept who I was. But what I love about David here is David is defining his relationship with God. You see, when we define things, when we know where we stand, it begins to change everything. And so this morning as we get started, I want us to understand where we stand in relation to God. The Lord is my shepherd. You know, Christy and I, she's, she's in kids right now. She's not here uh, in the front row where she usually is. But uh, we've been together for a long time. Uh, we actually started dating when we were 18 years old. Well, I was 18. She was 19. Come on, somebody. <laughs> So we've been together for a while, and back when we first got together, like, I thought I was really old, right? Because, like, I was 18, I'm a man. Um, but the more, like, life goes on, and I'm still not tremendously old, um, but I realized how young I actually was when we started dating. But I'm actually quite thankful that we got together when we did get together, because I've realized that dating and relationships in, like, 2019 is super complicated. Anyone know, like, what's up? Like, it's super, I have a friend, he's in a relationship now, you guys can clap your hands, you don't know who he is, it doesn't matter. Um, but for the longest time, he was, he was single and in and out of relationships, and I would always talk to him, and, and I would try to give him advice, and, you know, tell him what to do, all these good things, and he would kind of always get mad, and a part of it was that I wasn't very sympathetic to his relationship struggles. Um, like, when he would, like, be in breakups, I would always make jokes, like, man, I know exactly what that feels like. Uh, when I was 13, I got dumped, and... It was rough, and he didn't appreciate that much. And, well, he would always say, this is a line he would always say to us. He'd always say, you know what, Harrison, not everyone falls in love when they're 18 and marries that person. He's like, it's not that easy for everyone. He's like, you're just lucky. And I'm like, not lucky, I'm blessed. And I am blessed because I think relationships in 2019 and in 2018, it's a lot more complicated than when I was in the game. Like, we didn't have Tinder back then. We didn't have all that stuff. It was like we actually talked to each other in person. Um, and it wasn't that long ago, but, the, but life changed. But one thing I've realized, uh, and one of the reasons I think relationships right now are so difficult, is because no one wants to define anything. Yeah. You guys know what I'm talking about? Like, no one wants to define anything. Well, what are you guys? We're just having fun. <laughs> and, and Danny, you guys, you know a couple like this? Like, they've been together maybe one, two, three, four, ten years but they don't define anything. I saw, I saw, I have a picture, it was a meme on Facebook that I saw and this couple tagged each other in it. And it was like that awkward moment uh, when, you, when you live together and have a kid but you're still not sure if you're dating. And uh, they just they tagged their partner in it and it was so funny but I think it was a cry for help. 
she, she, was, she was trying to get him to define the relationship. Because what happens is that when we don't know where we stand, we can never actually have confidence, right? And so all of us, I'm sure we can think, maybe the picture of someone in your head, we have, I have a few people that I always think of, and I'd always make jokes, like, how's your boyfriend not boyfriend? Because they're not actually together. Um, but side note, people don't want to define things. And actually, I'm going to go on a tangent real quick. Are you guys okay with that? It's three seconds long. It's not going to take long. If you're in a relationship with someone that's been longer than, like, a few months, if it's a week, you don't need to define anything. Calm down, psycho. Um, <laughs> But if it's, been like, if it's been like an extended period of time, it's time to define the relationship. It's time to have that conversation, like where are we actually, are we actually together? Because here's the thing that I believe to be true. When it comes to these relationships where nothing is defined, you're putting in the highest level of attention with the lowest level of commitment. And no one deserves that. And so where I'm going with this, I'm relating it to Psalm 23, is that God has defined the relationship. You see, when a relationship is defined, the strength in the definition is that you know exactly where you stand. When someone is your girlfriend, you know where you stand. When someone is your fiance, you know where they stand. When they're your wife, when they're your husband, you know where you stand because the relationship has been defined. But we're living in this time and in this culture, we can't define anything. Don't define anything. And you guys may know what I'm talking about. Nothing can be defined. But Jesus here, He's defining the relationship. And what David is doing, he's defining the relationship. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. You see, for so many of us, if you had that picture, where like, I don't know where I stand with God. I'm not sure what God feels about me. I want to give you encouragement today that God is your shepherd. And he has a shepherd heart towards us. He loves us. He cares for us. And David knew this immensely. In David's darkest times, and many scholars believe that David actually wrote Psalm 23 when he was on the run or while he was in exile. David writes this psalm because he needs to remind himself in his darkest times where he stands with God. Because the temptation in our, in our trials and tribulations is to believe that God is not with me in my hard times. Where is God? But David defines it. He says, no matter what happens, no matter where I am, the Lord is still my shepherd. The Lord is still my shepherd. This is how he feels about me. David knew how God felt about him. Now maybe you're sitting here saying to yourself, well, that's fine for David. That's fine for David's relationship. But what about me? How do I know what God feels about me? Because we don't all personally pray like David prays. We don't all have this relationship where we know exactly where we stand. But here's the beauty, because I believe that God has defined his relationship to all of us and for all of us. Let me take you to a place that I call uh, the Calvary a Hill and the Cross. You see, on the cross at Calvary, what God was doing, God was defining the relationship. What he was saying, he was saying, this is how I feel about every single one of you. That I'm going to lay down my life for you. That I'm going to die for you. The Bible says, no greater love than this, that a man shall lay down his life for someone else. When Jesus died on the cross, he was defining the relationship. He was saying, I care for you. I love you. You're worth it. I'm your shepherd. I'm your savior. I'm your protector. Come on, somebody. I can't hear anyone. Yeah. God defined the relationship. I remember there's a song that I used to listen to. I still listen to it. And, and I just love the words. And it starts, and it's just super simple, but it said, um, speaking about the cross, it says, I know you had me on your mind when you climbed up on that hill and you saw me with eternal eyes 
And the reason I love that song is because it puts in, 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 the, in the word me. I know you had me. I know you died for me. David doesn't say the Lord is a shepherd. The Lord has a shepherd heart. He says the Lord is my shepherd. Jesus died for me. He is my God. He's my king. He's my savior. He's my redeemer. Come on. He's defying the relationship. You see, when we know where we stand with God, when we know that Jesus loves us, he's gave it all for us, what that means is that we can actually come to the well and drink because we're not afraid. We're not afraid that he doesn't like me, that God doesn't approve of me. No, no, no. He told you exactly how he felt about you when he laid down his life for you. Jesus defines the relationship. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Verse 2, he says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. And he leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. You see, when we understand God's role in our life and where he stands, we can begin to see that God is taking us somewhere. He leads me to green pastures. He leads me to water. He refreshes my soul. God's will and God's hope for every single one of us that we are able to take a drink from the well that is Jesus. And that's where he wants to lead us. But what happens is for so many of us, we get things confused. Instead of letting God be the shepherd, we try to take control. That's the problem. I, th I think that's the problem for so many of us is we try to take control. You see, as a shepherd, a shepherd is responsible for three things in particular when it came to sheep. You guys want to learn about shepherds real quick? A shepherd had to do three things. Number one, the shepherd was responsible for leading the sheep. He had to lead the sheep. That was one of his main things. He had to protect them. That was number two. He would lead them. He would protect them. And number three, he would provide for them. Those are three things a shepherd would always do for the sheep. He would lead, he would protect, and he would provide. And so when Jesus says, the Lord is my shepherd, what he is saying is saying, God will always lead me, God will always protect me, and God will always provide for me. Because the Lord is my shepherd. I wonder how many of us, the stresses in our lives come down to these three things. Leading, high school, college students, even in business, what do I do next? Where am I supposed to go? What does my life look like? So many of us, we don't know where we're supposed to be led. And so there's a stress and there's a worry, protection. How many guys need protection? Like, I got enemies. Like, I got people talking bad about me. I got, I got, I, we need protection. And this is the biggest one, number three, provision. Our stress, so many of us, I got bills. I got money. I need money. I don't got money. The shepherd will lead, the shepherd will protect, and the shepherd will provide. But you see what happens for so many of us, the reason these stresses overwhelm us is because we begin to reverse the role. Instead of letting God be the, she the shepherd, we try to be the shepherd. We say, I'm in charge of myself. I'm going to provide for myself. I'm going to lead myself. I'm going to protect myself. And I think it's no wonder in a society, in a culture that has so much, we still feel so empty. And we still struggle so much with depression. We still struggle so much with comparison. We still struggle so much with inadequacy. And I wonder if, if the reason for that is because we have reversed the roles. If instead of being sheep, we're trying to be the shepherd. So here's the thing. God defines the relationship, but we cannot reverse the roles. We cannot reverse the roles. Don't reverse the roles. The quickest stress you will have in your life, friends, is this is when you step into a position that you were never intended to step into. 
That's the easiest way to become stressed is to step into a position you were never intended to step into. I have something to tell you guys. We were never intended to be the shepherd. We're sheep. God is the shepherd. But I think the reason that self-help books are the number one bestsellers in bookstores all over the world is because we think we're the shepherds. We think it's up to me. Whatever happens, it's me, it's me, it's me. Stress comes when we're in a role that we weren't supposed to be in. I, I told you guys about applying for, applying for jobs. Uh, my dream job when I was like 13, 14, uh, 26 uh, is to work at SportCheck. And uh, the reason I want to work at SportCheck is because SportCheck, it combines my two loves, sports and discounts. And <laughs> when they can come together, like, and so every single year growing up, I would always apply at SportCheck without fail, but I was too shy to talk to the manager like my dad said, and so I never actually got a job there. Um, sad face emoji. Sad times. But one place I did get a job uh, was a store called Cabela's. And uh, Cabela's is an outfitter store, a hunting store. And if you guys were here a few weeks ago, I told you guys I don't camp. Uh, the ironic part is I was hired in the camping department. <laughs> the closest thing to camping I do is like hotels and continental breakfast. Come on, somebody. That's camping to me. <laughs> but I got hired at Cabela's, and I was there before the store actually opened. And so I was just helping set up and stuff. But as things were leading up, as we got closer and closer to launch uh, of Cabela's, I began to get more and more like anxiety. Because I was like, oh my gosh, like, what's going to happen when these hunters and like, these people that love the outdoors come and ask me questions? Because I don't know a thing about setting up a tent. Like, I don't know a thing. I can't even start a fire, right? And so I just remember that I was stressed out. And, and the reason I was so stressed out was because I wore camouflage for style, not for for anything other than that. But I was, I was super stressed out because I was in a position that I was never intended to be in, right? And that's where stress comes from. It's when we're in over our heads. And I think our world right now, I think the reason so many people are in over their heads is because we're trying to be the shepherd when we were always meant to be sheep. We were meant to be protected, provided, and led. But we're trying to do all those things ourselves. And so I think what God is trying to get us to do this morning, because our goal in this series is that no one leave this place thirsty. What God wants to do, God wants to begin to, to rearrange how we see things. I wonder what our lives would look like if we began to just think that I'm not in control, but God's in control. What could our relationships look like? I'm not in control, God's in control. What would our businesses look like? If we began to say, this is no longer my business, this is God's business, I'm just here to manage it. These aren't my kids. I'm just managing them. I'm just saying, you got to feed them still. Don't, don't get twisted. I don't want child services up here. But it's just mine to manage. God is the one. You guys want to know one of the biggest stresses in my life? It's when I begin to believe this is my church. I begin to believe I'm, I, I, how this church goes is, is fully on me. I grow it. I kill it. Whatever. It's on me. But that's not my position. God's in charge. I'm just managing it. And I promise you, friends, our lives will begin to change if we can shift our perspective and we can really believe David's words and say, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Do you know how he was able to say that he lacks nothing? It wasn't that he had everything. It was that he realized if God is in control, he's going to give me everything that I actually need. And that takes off a level of, of stress because the Lord is my shepherd. In verse 4 and 5, 
Just verse 4 for now, the psalm kind of takes a twist. We love verse 2 and 3 because the shepherd takes us to green pastures and there's water and it feels nice and warm and fuzzy. But verse 4 says, Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they come for me. It's so interesting. David says, Even though I walk through the darkest valley. Here's the thing I try to tell everyone. Just because you have Jesus in your life does not mean that you're not going to go through dark valleys. If I said that to anyone, like, hey, if you have Jesus, life is good forever, you guys would be like, you're a liar. Because so many of us, we end up in the valley. And the thing about the valley is that valleys are low. And when you're low, you feel like you're surrounded. It feels like you're surrounded because you can't see anything else. All you can see is the valley. All you can see is the view that you're in. And that's why we sang that song. Because it may feel like I'm surrounded. David says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, it's not even if I walk, it's when I walk through it. It's when I'm in it. It's when it happens. David's life has victories, but it also has great losses. He says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. The reason I will fear no evil is because I know that my God is bigger than my circumstance. I know my God is bigger than my trial. I know my God is bigger than my problem. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. Here's what I love, too. David is not going to stay in the valley forever. So as I walk through it, God's not taking you to a valley to keep you there. God's not going to let you stay there. He's going to bring us through it. He says, even though I walk through it, I will fear no evil. Why will I fear no evil? Because you are with me. Because the shepherd is with me. He's defined the relationship. He has told me who that he is. He will protect me with his rod and his staff. They comfort me. Even though I walk through the darkest valley. I read a story this week. It's about a girl named Sabrina. And Sabrina, she was, um, she was known. She was a beautiful girl, beautiful young lady. And uh, she was kind of like, it was, it was in a church context, and she was kind of like that girl in church that everyone just sort of looked up to because she was just a woman, a guy, beautiful, all these things, had a husband, had kids. And then one day, Sabrina got a brain tumor, and uh, she got this brain tumor. And what happened is that um, it just got worse and worse. But every single week, still, the church prayed. The church prayed, God, come on, like, help us, help this thing to go down, help us to get through it. And so week after week after week after week, they prayed. But what happened? Um, was it just got worse. Uh, the brain tumor eventually took control of her body and, and, and she could no longer walk. She couldn't see. By the end of her life, all she could do was blink to communicate. And she eventually lost her life. And uh, there was a funeral. And at the funeral, uh, the husband got up to speak. And at this funeral, Sabrina had an impact in her church, but she also had an impact in the world. I hope you guys know that we want you to have an impact in the church and outside the church. And so at her funeral, her church was about, it was about, at the funeral at the church was about half church people and half just people from the community, non-believers. And at this, at this funeral, what happened was the husband went up to speak, and as the husband was speaking, he just kept speaking about the hope that he has. The hope of the resurrection, the hope that the story is not over. And by the end of the funeral, all of those people that were non-believers, they were shocked. And they just could not believe the faith of this man. Because for them, from their perspective, he should have been in the valley. And for them, that looks like a valley that will never end because she's gone. But what I loved about the story was that he had this hope that although it may feel like he's surrounded, it's not the end. There's still more to the story. There's still more to the story. 
And it just stuck out to me because I connected it so much to David's walk. David says, as I walk through the valley. What that means is whatever we go through right now, what is in us is stronger than what's around us. What was in the husband of Sabrina that day was a hope, and that hope was stronger than the pain that surrounded him. And he was able to encourage other people through it. You see, in this verse, and, so, and David says this, in verse five he says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. In the presence of my enemies. But what that means when David says that, David is saying, God, no matter what, he says, you prepare a table for me, not, not away from my enemies, not away from my trials, not away from my problems, but in the midst of them. God is with us in the midst of it, in the midst of our mess. And here's what I love about the shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. You see, a shepherd is not a high position. In fact, in the culture, to be a shepherd, you were generally the lowest person in your household. It was the youngest, it was the overlooked, it was the not good enough, that was the shepherd. And I love that Jesus actually takes on that term. Because what Jesus is saying, he said, I'm gonna come down to their level, I'm gonna come in the midst of their mess, and I'm gonna be their shepherd. I'm gonna come with them in the valley, I'm gonna come with them in the pain, in the sickness, in the darkness, I'm gonna step right into it. It may feel like I'm surrounded, but it's God. Verse six, he says, you anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Listen, we did this series thirsty because we want every single one of ours, we want our cups to overflow. We wanna be filled with Jesus. He says, surely your goodness and your love will follow me all the days of my life. It doesn't matter where I go, it doesn't matter what happens, the shepherd is following me, his love is following me. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever forever. Can we all just stand to our feet real quick? Thank you so much for listening. We hope that message was exactly what you needed to hear. If you want more information, head over to kingdomchurch.ca. You will find everything you need and so much more. If this ministry has inspired you, we encourage you, let us know. Send us a message. We'd love to hear from you. We'll see you soon. Take care.